man, where else do you get to come to church and hear some, uh, some I'll be watching you? Man, that, that idea that maybe General Zarloff is off to get you and every step you take and every move you make, he's watching after you is the idea we're looking at. If life is after us, how can we prevail? But that song is a hilarious song because that song is like Mr. Creepy Stalker song, right? Every move you make, every step you take, I'll be watching you. And yet, they used to play that like the junior high dance in high school, right? It's like the creepy song. Like, you know the difference between a junior high dance and a high school dance? Here's a junior high dance. Here's a high school dance, right? So, so it's like... It's like we're singing the creepy stalker song for the slow dance. It's just crazy. But we're looking at an idea of how do you survive the most dangerous game and how would you live if you thought maybe you were being hunted? If you knew you were being hunted, you would protect, like Rainsford did, the things that are important. In some sense, we do that right now, right? Protect your family. You tell your kids not to talk to strangers. It's just kind of common sense. But if you knew you were being hunted, you would protect things like your family, your future. And if you had a faith, you might want to protect your faith or develop one if you thought it would be a tool that would help you against the evil General Zarloff. Well, in this series, we're looking at a man named Paul and a leader in the early church. And he's writing to a group of followers of Jesus who are being pursued by several generals and emperors of Rome. The Roman emperors are persecuting the Christians, coming after the Christians, Nero, another guy named General Titus, and he's giving them advice, not just on how to survive the challenges, but how to thrive. In fact, he's writing this little letter to the Ephesians, and he says, guys, you can have the best kind of relationships. In fact, even in a life, in a, an environment where people are hostile to you and hostile to what you believe, you can live with a song in your heart. Like, it's got to be the most unbelievable claim he makes here. Here's what he says. Look at Ephesians. He says, hey, emperor's after you. General Titus is going to be after you. But you can speak to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. You can kind of live by singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. This had to sound like the most naive letter ever. Then he goes on to say, and that Joy in your heart, even in the midst of difficulty, can lead to the best kind of relationships. In Ephesians 5, he says you can have the best kind of marriages, the best kind of families. He then goes on to talk about employers and employees. You can create this thanksgiving-filled environment in relationships despite being in the most dangerous game. He says, husbands, you can learn how to love your wives just like Christ loved the church. And... Let each one of you, in particular, so love your wife as himself, and let the wives respect their husbands. And it's going to stand out in a culture that's hunting you, that you've got the best kind of relationships. Then he's going to jump into chapter 6 and say, let me tell you how to have that. Like, who doesn't want Thanksgiving and joy, best marriages, best families? He then takes a weird, wicked turn and uses a battle metaphor to describe how to do it. He says, you need to know your enemy's battle strategies, and you need to put on your battle gear to do that. You need to think to yourself, if someone was going to destroy my marriage and knew my unique weaknesses or my spouse's unique weaknesses, how would they attack it so that I can protect against it? If somebody was trying to come after my kid's hearts and knew my kid's unique weaknesses or strengths, how would I protect against it so that I can live the best life 
even in the midst of difficulty. Not if you're a paintballer, but uh, I did a little bit of paintballing because I was a junior high pastor. As a junior high pastor, for years I would take junior hires out, and all the junior hires in our group bought all the battle gear. I mean, they had like, you know, face masks and breastplates, and they had knee guards, and they had these guns, $100, multi-hundred dollar guns, semi-automatic. I mean, they could shoot like 100 bullets a minute. It was hooked up to this canister on their back. They must have had like a thousand paintballs. Meanwhile, the youth pastor who plays paintball once a quarter was handed like a thin little mask from my face and the equivalent of a, of a, of a Speedo to wear uh, otherwise. And then I'm handed like the, the, the rental gun. So this is what, but... Here's what I knew about the junior high boys in my group. Bunch of cowards. Bunch of cowards. They would hide behind those trees for like an hour during capture of the flag until eventually. And I'm like, you know what? I may not have much battle gear. And I may not have the right weapons. But I got something they don't. I got courage. And so as soon as the gun went off, I knew they were going to hide behind the trees for at least 15 minutes. And I go sprinting their direction. And I'm kamikaze. And I got like six of them before they yelled to their buddies. Oh my. All their buddies stepped out knowing I was coming, and I got painted up like a Picasso. But because I knew their strategy, I was able to overcome six of them before they took me out. But I also needed the proper battle gear, which I didn't have. That's the idea Paul gets at. Number one, he says, you need to understand the enemy's battle strategy. To which you're like, what enemy? Well, in our story, it was General Zarloff, but Paul says, hey, it's a combination of the literal generals Titus and Nero, but just life in general brings some, some strategies to try and divide you, to try and discourage you, to try and keep you from experiencing the abundant life. Here's how he says it in Ephesians. Right after talking about these marriages and great relationships, he says, here's how you do it. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. That's the secret. And in the power of his might to do that. So you got to every day, the word in Greek, the word put on is a daily, every day you got to put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to stand up against the wiles. Remember Wiley Coyote always had those strategies? Wiles of the devil. Now you might, are we really going to talk about the devil? And that might be in the category of kind of spooky and kooky for you. And it may be easy for you to believe in God as a, as a source of good, but not necessarily the devil as a source of evil. And that's fine. If that's hard for you, just cross out the D in your mind and just the wiles of evil. Because we've all seen evil try and take advantage of things we care about. So Paul's saying, how do you stand up against the wiles of evil that might try and take you down? And the Greek word for wiles is a word where we get methods or cunning arts or deceitfulness or craftiness or trickery. He said just previous to that, it's not just the evils of this world that might try and take you out. It's also the, the trickery of mankind. Right? Don't talk to strangers. Be careful. Don't trust everything. Trust but verify. You've given this advice. Don't no longer be children. Don't live naively, Paul says, tossed to and fro, carried about by every kind of doctrine, every kind of claim, every kind of truth. Don't fall for stuff. The trickery of men in their cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That's all he's saying. 
that when you're out in the woods and being hunted, there's ways to take naive people and capture them. I think about a fish. Like there's some natural ways without even a fishing pole to capture fish. If you put the rocks in the right place and, a, and the, the stream in the right place, you can get those fish to swim right into their own trap. And you do that with your family right now, right? Physically, if you know your kids could be in danger, you put protections in place. But what if we did the same thing emotionally? What if we did the same thing spiritually? How do we protect ourselves, our families, our future by thinking about, huh, one son has a tendency to be discouraged or, or somebody else has a tendency to um, be taken advantage of. Okay, in light of that, how would I build stuff in place into each person in my life I care about so they don't get trapped by the craftiness of people or the dangers of evil? That's all he's saying. And you know yourself, you know your spouse, you know your kids, you know your employees better than anyone. What if you were strategic about thinking about ways somebody might try and take somebody from your company or get somebody to kind of turn emotionally backwards toward the organization and, and how you could individually encourage them or affirm them in order to create the best kind of environment. That's the idea here. And several words he mentioned there, doctrine and cunning plotting, really get to ways we can examine. Think about yourself. What are the, the weak spots, if you were hunting you, that you might use? What are your weaknesses? Yeah, that would be the way I would try and take me down. What are your fears? That maybe you could pump up or exploit so maybe you're not thinking in your right mind. I've seen this many times in families, in churches, in organizations. Whenever you spot some confusion, it almost always happens. Confusion gets smaller, then bigger, then bigger, then bigger. People stop trusting each other. Somebody tries to come in and goes from confusion to controlling one another. And then there's devastation because there's no morale and no trust. So when you see confusion in a family, confusion between you and your spouse, you're just like, well, we just keep mishearing each other. Let's together come against that confusion so that someone or something doesn't use confusion to divide us. Sometimes it's your strengths. They're such your strength, they're unguarded so you don't protect against them. And sometimes it's blind spots, which is why we both need God. Because a blind spot is something you're blind to, Right? So you need somebody outside of yourself to help. So the ancients used to pray like this. Search me, O God, and see if there be any evil way within me. I need your help with my blind spots so they don't be taken advantage of. That's the idea here. How can we maximize ourself against attack? Now, I don't know. I, just, I feel like this is a safe place. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I haven't ever confessed this publicly, so I think it's time to, to, to let you know. I was on the chess team. I was on the chess team. I was a chess nerd. I've been playing chess since I was like fifth grade, and I love chess. And, it, and I, I was on track. I was a good track player. I was on the select soccer team. I play sand volleyball even still today, and I ski, and I, I wakeboard, and I surf. But I, I, I'm a chess player. And so I love playing chess. And so my, my son-in-law just started playing chess, or had played a few times. He moved to Cincinnati three years ago. We head downtown right along the river, and there's this giant life-size chess set. And he goes, hey, you want to play chess? I'm like, oh, do I want to play chess? I haven't played chess in a while. And so we sit down and play chess, and if you don't play chess, there's a way to beat somebody in four moves. It's called the four-move checkmate. And so we're playing, so he starts off, you know, whoosh, boom, move his pawn. And I'm like, mm-hmm, pawn up. He does whatever he does. Mm-hmm. Queen over. He does whatever he does. Mm, bishop over, third move. He does whatever he does, and whoosh, I swipe in, checkmate. 
I mean, he was just dumbfounded, just dumbfounded. He had played chess, but I just got him with like the easiest way to beat somebody and the fastest way to beat somebody. Well, my son-in-law is very competitive. So he went to school on how to play chess. He got that phone out and he played hours a day while he was finishing up college. And man, he started challenging me to play. But here's what he may not know about me yet. I'm a highly creative, unconventional thinker, even at chess. I am attacking him in the most unusual ways that none of his training has taught him. And I'm just killing him, killing him, killing him. But the longer we played, the more he also realized that Chad is highly offensive. No, I mean, I'm, I have an offense. I'm an offense-minded. I'm not offensive. So I'm, I'm always on the offense. Attack, 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 so you can't get me. But I don't think at all about defense. And I am so focused on the attack, and I move so quick, I don't take the time to go slow enough to see if you're attacking me. Took him about six months, and he discovered all my weaknesses and all my strategies, and I have not beat him in a year. So frustrating. Why? Because he knew my weaknesses, he studied me, and now he adapted in order to protect himself and maximize his wins. That's the idea he's getting at here. So, number one, if depression is an issue, if fear is an issue, if there are things uniquely that would be challenges of coming on your family, how would you uniquely protect the people you love against those type of adversaries? And be strategic about it. And then daily put on your battle gear. Here's what he says. Put on your battle gear. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Meaning this world, there's a lot more to this world than just what you can see and touch in your five senses. We wrestle not just against flesh and blood, but there's other principalities and powers and rulers of the dark ages. There's spiritual forces in heavenly places. Church is like, woo, Chad, you're getting spooky and kooky again. Well, maybe. But think about how many invisible forces that you and I know for sure are true. Like if I told you that you need access to an invisible world to help you, you'd say, no, I don't. Until your son's sick in the hospital. You're like, you know what, even if there is a God who prayer might work, I'm going to tap into some of that invisible power to help the doctor, right? You would do that. Even if it's not true, you'd want to, if there is, I want access to it. T take your cell phone, right? You're going to take your cell phone, we're going to jump you back in time 200 years and try and explain to somebody Wi-Fi. Well, there are these invisible rays going through that my phone can pick up. Right. Oh, and, and explain to them Bluetooth. Well, why is it a Bluetooth? Do you have a tooth, a teeth blue? Are you all Smurfs in the future? What do you mean it's a Bluetooth? And you're trying to explain Bluetooth. Trying to explain to somebody gravity, inertia, nuclear force. Right? There's so many invisible forces that you and I know are true. Radio, radio waves. And we know that the light spectrum, the ear spectrum, you can't hear all the, the sounds that can be heard, right? Your dog can hear things you can't hear. They're invisible to you. There's things you can't see, microwaves you can't see. So the idea that there's an invisible world beyond what your five senses do, it's just, it's just common sense, really. Even like all the stories you've read talk about the, the matrix. You know, there's another world out there. So if you'd open your mind to maybe the possibility that in the same way scientifically there's an invisible world, maybe there's a spiritual world that you want to have access to the powers of that spiritual world in your life today. That's all he's saying. So he says, here's three things to do. Every day to stand up. Now remember, the whole context here is to have great marriages. You've got to think about the other world and how to tap into God's power and God's wisdom. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God. So you stand against evil in the day, and then stand. Stand, therefore, he says. 
Stand up and fight for what is valuable. Be strategic about your marriage. Be strategic about your employees. Be strategic about what their weaknesses might be and how you can affirm or how you can encourage them. Stand. Don't give up any ground in this area. This was a military term Paul used that was very familiar to the readers about standing up against opposition. What does it mean to stand strong? Let me tell you, this life, General Zarloff, whatever shape it takes, it will kick you in the teeth and convince you not to stand up and fight for what's important. I had a buddy of mine who was going through a very difficult season of marriage. He meets with me and kind of like laying out the case as to why it's time to give up. He'd been married about two years. I'm like, well, I'm not sure it's time to give up. I said, maybe it's time to look at marriage not as a place to be happy, but to be holy. Because when you're holy, you can be happy. When you're happy, you're not always holy. And maybe marriage is a time to develop you into more of an other-centered person. Mm, that's not really why I met for lunch today. <laughs> it was really me for lunch saying, here's my good reason. I want you to say it's okay. And I want you to stand strong. Marriages go through seasons. There's, there's summer, which is awesome, and there's spring, which is awesome. But there's also times of winter and fall. Last couple of years, we've had all kinds of challenges. My wife's two back surgery. We've had a lot of winter, and we finally come into spring and summer. And oh my goodness, I'm like, you know, it's worth fighting and holding on and staying strong during winter and fall because spring's coming. And when you're in the fall, you're like, spring's not coming. There's no more summer in my marriage. And I'm saying, stay strong, keep investing. He met with another buddy of mine who was much older than me. He said, listen, I was tempted to give up on my marriage about 10 years ago, and I had all the reasons you have. And somebody older than me said, stay strong. There's a, a sweetness coming at the next stage. If you'll double down into figuring out how you could do marriage better, uh, being attentive to your spouse's needs, being able to really ask God for the, the grace and the courage and the love that you don't feel right now to infuse you. And, and I, I just caught up with my friend who talked with both of us a few years ago. And his marriage is just thriving. Because during a challenging time, he prayed and asked God to help him stay strong when he didn't want to stay strong. And he came through those winter and fall seasons to experience spring again. Stand strong. Number two, fortify yourself with truth. Paul says every day you got to get up and gird yourself with truth because there's so many lies about yourself, about your spouse, about your kids, about life that will just tear you down. So you got you to keep the belt of truth up. Why? Because you don't want to be caught with your pants down, right? You, when you lie, you get caught with your pants down where it's like, oh my goodness, you, you talk yourself into stuff that's not true. You see lies can begin to seduce your kids into nonsense and you're like, oh, I got to every day put on the belt of truth. Truth is not just an abstract idea. It's a powerful reality. I was talking to a buddy who's been married like 50 plus years. I said, what's the secret? He said, well, one of the things is I know that when I get discouraged and I think my wife's not appreciating me, I get resentful. And then I react. So over the years, I've learned before I react and before I get resentful, I've begun to notice the truth that when I'm unappreciated, I head down that path. So when I start feeling unappreciated, I will just bring up, hey, I could really use some encouragement today. It's amazing how just the truth of having my wife affirm something keeps me from all those lies beginning to spill out. Like, oh, that's really interesting. Truth is a powerful battle armor, Paul says. He uses the metaphor of the, 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 the battle armor that a Roman soldier would wear. You've got to put on truth daily. And if you have truth in your life 
And if you meditate on truth, which is why we encourage people to read the Bible and get into the Bible and use our app to get into the Bible, is truth has a tendency to combat lies and protect the things you care about most. And when you put yourself in the right battle armor, you can endure difficult environments. So I'm about you, but COVID drove me crazy. I'm an extrovert. I like being outside. And the idea of being, you know, you know, stuck in the back corner of a closet for a year just was driving me crazy. So last April, I'm like, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of this house. So I'm like, what can I do? I'm going to take my boat out. Problem is it's April in Ohio. But I want to get in the Ohio River where I ski. And I want to go down to East Fork Lake where I love skiing and surfing. And I'm like, you know what? I got a wetsuit, but that's not going to cut it. That's, mm-hmm, that's not going to cut it. I need a dry suit. I've never had a dry suit, but I've heard about a dry suit. So I got on Craigslist and I found a dry suit for like 70 bucks. It was my, my size. And so it's delivered to me. And I put on this brand new for me dry suit so I can go out skiing. Look at that. Wow. Captain Kirk is back. Stardate 25742. We've landed on an alien planet and there's green alien women all over the place. There I am. It's like I'm like a Marvel comic from the 80s and clearly COVID did not treat me well in the Battle of the Bulge. So there it is. Take that off the screen. Take that off the screen. People want to see that. So I got this on there and I'm out on the Ohio River. We're going two miles down the Licking River and I'm, I'm dumb enough to say, I'm going to go skiing. I don't care if it's April. And so I'm jumping in the water. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm like the Pillboy Doughboy. Like, I'm dry from like here down. Well, <laughs> I got the cable caught in my propeller. And I have an inboard, so there's no tilt up. I had to go down under my boat with a utility knife. The motor was off. And I had to cut the cable off my propeller, which required me to go under the ice-cold licking river. Thank goodness I had the stupid dry suit because my head was freezing cold when I came out. But the rest of me is like sweating. It was a bizarre situation. I'm sweating from here down and and I'm freezing from here up. But man, I needed the proper battle gear, the proper environment in order to withstand the the, the cold of the COVID, of the Licking River. And Paul's saying the same thing. This world can be hostile. It can be a dangerous place. It can bring stuff into your life and challenge your life you didn't expect. But if you put on truth every day, and choose to stand strong, I think it's a powerful tool in your arsenal for standing strong. Third thing, he gives several pieces, but they can be summed up by guarding your heart. Again, he's, he's launching through the military gear of the Romans that the Jewish Christians would have seen all the time. He says, every day, you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. So think chain mail. What does that mean, put on the breastplate of righteousness? Well, righteousness is this idea of where do you get your identity? What what do you use to protect yourself? What do you use to comfort yourself? When when things are stressful, what do you turn to? So think of it that way. What protects your heart? For many of us, when we get under attack or discouraged, we turn to what we consider our God. You may not use that term, but you say, when I feel discouraged, I remind myself, at least I'm good at soccer. At least I'm, you know, vice president. At least I have a good territory. Your protection of your heart is you glue your identity to how you perform until you have a season you lose your job because of COVID. Oh my goodness, wow. Your performance is important, but it can't be the thing that guards your heart. Your status. I love people being happy with me. I love sermons where people say, good job, Chad. But I don't want that to be the thing that defines me. My approval of other people, my status, my money, all good things. 
But what the message of the Bible offers is that when Jesus died on the cross, he lived a perfect life. And he says, if you ask him for forgiveness, he forgives you, but he does something far better than that, although that's pretty good. He gives you his righteousness. And so you put God's righteousness on you and say, I am defined by, I find my worth in how God sees me. My kids like me today. That doesn't make me feel any better than the fact that God loves me. My kids are, tell me they hate me today. Thank goodness I don't define my self-worth by what my kids say. I had a good year. That's awesome. But it doesn't define me. I had a bad year. I'm not crushed. I'm discouraged, but I'm not crushed because it doesn't define me. You put on the righteousness of God saying, I am defined by how God sees me, not by what the Bible calls idols, other things you guard your heart with. Then he says, and then if you want to know how to protect yourself, you got to really build, expand a gigantic shield of faith, your confidence in God. If you take up every day a shield of faith, develop the shield of faith, grow the shield of faith, it's going to be able to quench the fiery darts of the evil one. Whatever form they take, fear, depression, discouragement, just challenges. So in life, build yourself a big faith shield, and you don't have to worry about whatever General Zarloff's got. It's not going to get through the shield. You'll quench or extinguish the fiery darts of the wicked one. And so put on the helmet of salvation. Right? That's, what my wet, that's what my dry suit needed. It was a helmet. To protect your thoughts. Salvation means deliver you from false thoughts. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So get into the Bible. Develop your faith to guard you, to guard your family. I was at a friend's house several years ago. They had a house right out on the, on the water. It was just gorgeous. And I said, man, there must be so many memories here. And Grandma said, oh, yeah. I said, it seems like kind of a, a multi-generational place that you must have had, you know, just memories going back for kids and grandkids. She said, oh, it's, it's really been an amazing place to to have our kids and our family. And so I kind of followed up. I said, well, what's kind of a favorite memory? What's a memory that kind of sticks out of something that's happened here at your place? She paused for a second and she said, well, probably the thing that stands out the most is when Ronald Reagan and Gorbachev met here in the 80s. She's serious. She said, yeah, the Secret Service had to come in about a week early and because they were going to meet here in the kitchen, they had to reinforce this wall so it could withstand a, a missile attack. Oh, really? So we walked outside, and she said, and I just planted these begonias. And you know, the Secret Service was as nice as they could be, but they stepped all over my begonias trying to figure out where to put in the missile wall. Huh. And I thought, you know what? I said, did they come back and take the missile wall out? No, it's still there. I go, I guess so. If you're going to put a missile wall in, why take it out? And I thought, you know what? You can talk with anyone and everyone in your living room if you know you've got a big, thick wall that's going to take on fiery darts or missile. That's what he's talking about. You can live with such freedom, just enjoy your life because General Zarloff ain't getting through the missile wall. So don't forget in all the things you're prioritizing in life to prioritize the word of God, faith. Who is God? What is my purpose? Is Jesus who he says he is? It's a way of building the shield to protect the things that matter most to you. That's the idea he's getting at. I think his main point with this battle metaphor, though, is to stand strong. Because he says it like three times. Having done everything you know to do, stand. Stand, therefore, in the whole armor and the whole might of God. Standing strong can simply mean standing your ground. 
so that your faith, your family, and your future flourish rather than under attack. I mentioned the last three years have been some of the most ruthlessly difficult three years of my life. I'm so glad to hopefully be on the way out, if not out. I went to a PTSD counselor because I saw that special needs families have some of the similar symptoms of PTSD um, soldiers. I kind of felt guilty calling it that, but because it's kind of reoccurring challenges, I went, man, I just cannot find the peace I need. And as I was talking, she, uh, she said to me, she said, well, Chad, sometimes surviving is the definition of success. I'm like, oh, no. I don't want to survive. I want to thrive. She's like, yeah, yeah, but when you're going through a real difficult time, right, if you were in, in the military and you're crawling your way through you know, gunfire everywhere, you would say, you know what the goal of today is? Stay alive. And there are certain seasons in life, it's okay to say, just surviving is success. It just went against everything in me that wanted the best. And I went, you know what? There's so many things out of my control. The best thing I can do is stand my ground. I'm, I'm not gaining any ground for a little bit. <laughs> I'd like to, but I'm not gaining any ground. But I'm just not going to give up anymore. I'm going to stand the ground in my marriage. I'm going to stand the ground in my health. I'm going to stand the ground on behalf of my, my family. I'm going to make sure I keep building into my faith even though I don't feel like it. Surviving, standing your ground can be success. And I want to encourage you, whatever area you're feeling the push and the pressure to stay strong and stand your ground. One of the best examples of this had to be in, uh, in World War II. It was post-D-Day. We thought we'd defeated the Nazis. We thought they were on the run. And they were on the run, but we thought they were totally destroyed. But we had underestimated. Military intelligence said that pretty much there's no way that Hitler could make another comeback. But he did. In fact, military ten, uh, intelligence said there's no way that this whole low probability he'd try and attack through Belgium. But he had gathered 80 divisions of soldiers and tanks there just to the east side of Belgium. And what you and I will know is the Battle of the Bulge. It was so poorly defended at the time. It was a small group of, of American and British soldiers who hadn't seen even much battle. They certainly weren't prepared for the train, but it was a gigantic forest, and they had no idea the Germans were coming. They didn't have the right battle gear. It would start snowing, and when it started snowing, they, there were 100,000 people will die in this battle because they didn't have the proper battle gear, but they had no idea battle was coming, and all of a sudden, these German tanks, 80 divisions, come rolling up through the woods in a place they did not imagine. And these green, very inexperienced, very uh, not military prepared with the right battle gear for taking on 80 squadrons of Germans and Nazis suddenly were holding the ground. They will not advance. They will not take any ground back from the Nazis. But military command will suddenly begin to mobilize people in all different directions and begin to send them their way. And all they said over and over again is, just hold your ground. Just stay strong. Just stand. Stand strong. We'll get the resources to you. Stand strong. We'll get you. We'll come to you. And sure enough, we ended up defeating the Nazis in one final attack of the Battle of Bulge because a group of green, inexperienced people said, we're going to stand. And we're going to stand and trust the resources are coming. We're going to trust that even though we don't, we're not going to make any advancement, we're going to trust that standing is success here. And sure enough, you and I are living in freedom today because people chose to stand strong against incredible adversity and uncertainty and things that had no probability of happening. And Paul would say the same thing to you. 
you need access to resources outside of yourself to stand, right? You've tried this, and you're like, I'm going to give up. I've tried the pep talk. It's not working. You need access to God. Stand strong in the power of his might. When Jesus Christ was crucified, you've never seen somebody in more, more pressure. Railroad spikes pounded between these two bones, right where that nerve ending is, giant nerve is. Stakes pounded through his, both his feet. And there... There's a Roman centurion watching Jesus die. He's seen a, a thousand people die. He's killed a thousand people. He's not feeling like, poor Jesus. He's like, another guy's dying. And the way Jesus died was so shocking to a Roman centurion. He's watching him. Most people just collapse because they, you suffocate by suffocation. But Jesus stood up, it says on the cross, where most people couldn't even talk. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, it is finished. The Roman centurion is like, I have never seen that kind of strength. I have never seen that. In fact, the Roman centurion who doesn't even believe in the Hebrews' God says, wow, surely that was the son of God. Even he recognized that whoever Jesus was, he was standing with a kind of power and might that he'd never seen before. I want you to stand. Not just try harder, but to say, God, I need access to your invisible, your invisible world. In this series, we encourage you to do that with the book of Romans, uh, in the, the Lord's Prayer, rather. And so if you go to our website at horizoncc.com backslash dangerous, I lead you through the Lord's Prayer. Kind of daily invite those invisible resources into your life. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And here's a key verse I want you to see before you do this last song. Go to the next slide real quick. Deliver me from the evil one. I don't know if there's evil around me, God, but if there is, deliver me from the evil one. I need your help to stand. For yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand.